0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Well, um, you... Might be anticipating that I'll, I was going to continue with the, uh, the themes that I've been talking about, about um, <clears throat> the practice as a path of happiness and uh, cultivating wholesome states and awakening joy. Um, so, a chance to let go of expectations. <laughs> uh, I will continue with it. Um, probably next time, but um, I something else was coming up um, for me that I just have been moved to uh, explore with you tonight. <clears throat> and that's um, a way of seeing the process of practice uh, that we've been doing, that we are doing here together. Just this whole process of, of awakening, awakening, <clears throat> And there are many models that uh, present this process um, in the classical teachings and in uh, different uh, different Buddhist traditions um, One model that I love um, which I won't be going into uh, but i 'll just mention is uh, the five spiritual faculties that have uh, been mentioned from time to time how how faith leads to uh, Energy and effort leads to mindfulness, leads to concentration, leads to wisdom. It's a, uh, it's one that I find very helpful. Or then there's a, a classical uh, commentary that on the the progress of insight that describes different um, stages that one can often uh, go through. Or in the Tibetan tradition, uh, there's um, the the six yogas of Naropa, or the 10 Bhumis, or in the Zen, the, the 10 ox herding uh, pictures. There's lots of different ways to to see what we're doing in a larger context. And it does help to see what we're doing in a context. Sometimes you can just be so um, so refined and narrow in your... Uh, your experience in uh, breathing in, breathing out, and, and you can forget, well, well, what's the point of that? Yes. What's the, um, uh, we can forget why we're doing it. Uh-oh. What should we do here? just put it over there okay How's this? It's okay. Um, So we can forget what we're doing or or why we're doing it anyway. And it it helps to have some kind of a a bigger picture uh, that uh, makes sense of why it's a good thing to be here in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I want to, what I'm going to share tonight, I want to share in the uh, in the context also of uh, something that Carol said, uh, I think that this, w- this morning, that we're all in different places, that uh, this is just one way of, of seeing the larger picture, but we're all in, um, we're all right where we need to be, right here as the practice is unfolding for you in this moment. So, uh, remember, the, my first talk was about the comparing mind. So, um, watch out if it uh, pops up. Well, gee, I'm not there. I'm only still here. Or, hey, i am beyond that, or whatever. Because we can go in and out of different stages. So, um, just put the report card aside. Know that you're right where you need to be. And, um, and just... Um, Take this however useful it might be. This is, this is my way of um, holding the process as I, as I reflected on it. <clears throat> Starting with the fact that somehow we all got here, which is a pretty amazing thing, Every one of us has our own story about all the things that led us to be here for these six weeks or these three months. And if you look, at least from a a karmic point of view, uh, it's not an accident. That what you have done, the seeds that you've planted in the past, have led you to be here Practicing with all of us right now. One uh, way of understanding this fact, this karmic unfolding that that gets you here, uh, is um, development of certain uh, forces of purity in the mind and the heart. What are called the paramis or paramitas in uh, uh, in some traditions, certain perfections of heart. Mm. and particularly these forces of purification um, lead us to practice. There is the the purity of conduct that in our um, in our alignment with uh, with Sila, with wholesome acts, uh, with integrity, and also uh, our development over time of a generous heart, dana and sila, are, are contribute to a purity of conduct, as it's called, and that, at least in some teachings, um, leads to being able to hear the Dharma, which is a pretty fortunate thing. When I look back on my life in my early years, in my unconscious youth, and all of the things that could have gone in so many different directions that I just kind of like breathe a deep breath and say, whew, that was a close one. Wow, how did I escape that? Relatively unscathed. And somehow keep on being um, uh, turning towards the dharma. There was a, a, a movie many years ago uh, about the price fighter, uh, Rocky Graziano. And the name of the, the movie, it, o- it often comes into my mind. The title is, Somebody Up There Likes Me. It's a beautiful movie, by the way. Just somebody up there likes me. And, you know, in Buddhism, we don't point up there and say somebody is up there liking me. But there is this this feeling of grace and uh, good fortune that somehow we've been led to hear the teachings and they've touched us in a, a particular way that, we haven't been able to ignore. And then there is uh, another quality of purification or purity called purity of wisdom, that not only hearing the teachings, but being motivated to practice, to actually develop uh, the and embody for ourselves these teachings, purity of wisdom, that gives us the opportunity to practice and actually put in our time. Something in you, whether you relate to karma or not, you might call it amazing grace or however you want to conceive of it, something has led you all the way through even stronger than your doubts and your neuroses and your fears and your uh, life experiences that has kept you leading in this direction and got you here. Or opened you to hearing a talk or reading a book or having a friend say something that that made you think, that sounds like something I want to pursue. And often... As we have talked about here, uh, we are motivated by our suffering because it's one thing to read interesting teachings, nice teachings. Oh, that yeah, that makes sense. Okay, but when you get motivated, saying uh, I really need to want to give this to myself, you know, and you find yourself filling out the application for your first retreat and then hitting the send button or sending it in you say oh my goodness what did i just do you know but you were motivated or how you got here i need to do this something and you said i really need to do this this might have been your first time or it might be your your tenth time doing this there's something that keeps you calling and generally it's our um at least in the initial stages, uh, our wanting to uh, to come to some terms with our suffering and find some peace and and well-being in the heart. I mentioned, uh, and it's been mentioned here uh, by others, this teaching the transcendental dependent arising, where suffering can lead to faith, and faith can lead to gladness, joy happiness, peace, enlightenment. But suffering doesn't necessarily lead to faith. Often it can lead to bitterness or um, uh, anger or ill will or doubt or self-judgment or uh, judging others. It doesn't necessarily lead to faith. And in the teaching, it's suffering can lead to faith, is a causative factor for faith to arise. So that's another part of how you got here. You were your good karma to hear the teachings and then motivated often by our suffering to say, I really want to put this into practice. I need to find this uh, more for myself, not just theoretically. And along the way, another aspect of what gets you here is inspiration. You, as I say, hear a talk, read a book, have a a friend who's been touched, and and you have some um, what's called bright faith and say, wow, I've been so touched by that Speaker or that talk or that book or something that uh, that really awakens that possibility in you. You know, I, I mentioned when I first read "Be Here Now," uh, something in me was so so moved. It was like the pages, the the energy just leaped out in in my heart, in my mind, and said, "Oh my goodness, there's a way." And that led me to. Uh, to meet Joseph Goldstein in 1974 and when he started talking and I I said you know that I when he said there's a possibility to uh, to be out of our neurotic thoughts and I said I'm going for it bright faith or hearing a, a line that uh, that the first time I heard it really struck me, and I've returned to it countless times over the years. The Buddha saying, "If it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, uh, I would not tell you to do so." Just very simple. Oh wow! Well, he seemed to know a whole lot of other things. Maybe he's right on that. Maybe it's possible. So that gets you motivated and inspired to to make this more than a a, a theoretical uh, project. Uh, Just before I go on, do you remember for you, just uh, invite you to go inside for a moment, and remember for you being inspired. What was it that inspired you There might've probably, there probably been a number of things, but just pick one that really stands out. Who was it? What did you read? What did you hear? Do you remember? Do you remember how it affected you? How it moved you? Don't forget that. Stay connected to that. It touched something in you that uh, you can't deny. And you heard that call and that possibility. Okay, I'll continue on. So when you get inspired, that, that bright faith, then it gives you the... Uh, perhaps the courage or the determination to check it out for yourself and be willing to sit and be here for the whole show. This takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? You sit here and you're saying, okay, joy, sorrow, love ill will confusion fear compassion calm restlessness all of the hindrances you're saying okay let me let me be here for it all that takes a lot of courage and i hope that you from time to time just see that and acknowledge what you're doing here. This is not for sissies if that's a i don't know if that's a politically incorrect word or uh, <laughs> forgive me if i've but this is this is not for wimps. You know. <laughs> to be here for it all that takes a lot of courage because. That means you're going to be willing, whether you realize it or not when you start it, (laughs) that means you uh, sooner or later get, that means you are saying, I'll open up to all the demons inside, all the places that I would numb myself otherwise or um, uh, suppress or deny or uh, somehow... Uh, not attend to, no, I'll be here for it all. That, that's kind of the contract that you're making with yourself, whether you realize it or not. So basically the bottom line comes down to facing all your fears. And I just want to point out that fear is essential to this process of awakening. Willing to open to the whole show. Is a, I think I might have mentioned Robert Bly, the line I love. Every part of us that we do not learn to embrace will become hostile to us. And that means just being here for it all. And so, if you're willing to open up to and look at the very places that scare you. It's a a great book by uh, Pema Chodron. Uh, The places that scare you. And see, oh, this is it. This isn't a mistake. This is what I I bargained for. Then fear actually becomes um, an ally because it shows you what you need to open up to. Somewhere in, along the line, you said, I want to grow, I want to wake up. Which means if you want to grow, you need to get out of your comfort zone. And if you're gonna get out of your comfort zone, by definition, it means you're going to be uncomfortable. But it's not easy to move into the unknown. It's, uh, it's much more um, habitual to hold on to the familiar. That even the familiar of our old habits become home. Even hold on to the dukkha. I, I often have the, this image of, uh, you know, you, you ever get a sore in your mouth, right? And you play with it all the time. You know? and, and it's annoying, right? But you keep on playing with it. Mm. <laughs> Why do we do that <laughs> it's kind of what we we do in a the bigger picture in our life that we um, we are familiar with our neuroses <laughs> their home, and uh, it might be even even uh tricky to give them up what if i what if i don't have my uh my Ill will, or my laziness, or my whatever it is. Who am I without that? I I'm um, remembering. There's a there's a teacher of mine, uh, or somebody who I've been inspired by. This um, this uh, painter, uh, wonderful teacher Michelle Casu, who uh, does this process called the painting experience, and it's kind of like vipassana. On paper, uh, and I'm I'm not a I'm not an artist at all. At least I don't think of myself that way, uh, and I'm really not. Um, <laughs> but she says no, no, no. Don't let that get in the way. Uh, you j- there's a piece of paper over there, and you just keep on. Uh, don't stop. You keep on seeing what comes out of your out of your hand. And if you're stuck, oh, pick another color. You know, or go to another part of the page, you just keep on doing it, and don't let your mind get in the way it's really it's really quite brilliant and um, what what's coming to mind to share with you she was uh, she was sharing a, a series of her own paintings uh, this is many years ago, her own process of what was coming through her and it was there were these um number of uh, paintings in a series about um, exploring death. It was an issue that, that kept on coming up. And she painted all these, you know, scary demons and everything. And finally, in one of these pictures, she had died and she was underground in the coffin. And I'll never forget this. She she talks about it. I can see the picture right in front of me now. She's there in the coffin, and it's, she's been in there for a few days, and she describes how it's kind of dank in there, and there's maggots, and there's worms, and it's kind of like really gross. And from, this, from the, the coffin, there's a, a, a shoot that goes through the ground up to the sky into a Buddha realm lots of beautiful Buddha faces in, in the heavens. And as she was saying, sharing her process, she says, it, it, it was kind of amazing how there she was in this really yucky place. And she said, all, all I had to do, I knew all I had to do was just decide, okay, let's make the journey up to the, up to the heaven realms, the Buddha fields. And she said, but it seemed like such an effort. And I was just kind of comfortable in the, in the coffin with the maggots and the, and the, and, and, and the worms, and, you know. It just was like it became, it was home and it seemed like a big effort to go up. And that's what we sometimes do because it's kind of uh, going into the unknown, leaving our habits and our neuroses. and uh, Well, who am I without that? So fear can um, and often does uh, does, uh, run us, just those familiar patterns of contraction. As the the Buddha said, we are what we think. With our thoughts we make the world. And the more we focus on what can go wrong, the more likely we are to bring that about. Have you noticed that? Oh, I hope this doesn't happen in my sitting. And as, as you contract more and more, you know, oh, I wonder if this pain will get worse. I hope it doesn't get worse. You know. And then you get, you get into one big knot and what is it going to That's not going to be a healing spacious attitude. So it's really important to, to see how uh, just those habits of fear that we can face and wake up to um, are just often old familiar patterns. When I was uh, a kid, um, about, oh, maybe five or six years old, I was learning to ride a bicycle. And um, uh, my father was teaching me to, to ride a bicycle. And uh, one Sunday morning, when we thought we had gotten, gotten the habit, uh, gotten the, the idea, we were going to take off the training wheels. You know, remember that magic moment where the training wheels come off? Wow, let's see. And it was a Sunday morning. Nobody was around in our uh, neighborhood in in Elmhurst, Queens, New York. And there it was. He was going to just get me going and say, "Okay, now you're off on your own. The one thing that we forgot to focus a lot on was brakes. <laughs> which is a very important thing when you're learning how to ride a bike. And I was so excited, you know, there you go. You know, wow, I'm doing it, I'm getting balanced Nobody around. And then way in the distance, I see some, some adults And as I'm getting closer and closer, I see there's adults and a baby carriage. Getting closer, and my mind is saying, Don't hit the baby carriage. Don't hit the baby carriage. I hit the baby carriage. It was the only thing in my world. It was like, it was like radar, just <laughs> I didn't ride for about two years. It, uh, and now I, I love riding a bicycle. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it was an event I remember You know, 60-some odd years later. Uh, I, I, I hope that baby did OK. <laughs> 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 I, I, I don't know. I never found out. I was too traumatized. <laughs> but that's, that's often how fear works. Mm. In a world of impermanence, things are by definition out of our control. As Joseph uh, says, anything can happen at any time. Fortunes change quicker than the swish of a horse's tail. Comes, goes another teaching. And this is something that we learn to um, open up to more and more. How things are really out of our control. And that's scary, but it's also freeing when you realize, oh, I never had control in the first place. Mm. And the Buddha recommends that we think about this every day. I will become old. I will become sick. I will die. Everything and everyone near and dear to me, I will be separated from. And I am the owner of my karma. And he says, "Keep reflecting on impermanence. No ma- matter how good things get, reflect on impermanence. No matter how awful they get, reflect on impermanence. And see, you don't run the show here. But we can. There can be like a, a shock to the to the system, and we can be very vigilant at times, and just be." especially if we've gone through some trauma, that there's that reaction in, in us that we really need to respect and honor, but realize that there's um, little by little another way to um, to rewire the, the system. Uh, and it involves letting go of control and realizing anything can happen. I come from a lineage of warriors. I told you about my mom and uh, her fetching, her complaining. Well, the other aspect is that she was a worrier, and she said, "If I don't have anything to worry about, that's when I really get worried." You know, (laughs) it's like she was putting in her time, and um, it's so painful to. Uh, to be worried about the future because that's what fear is, and you might see it in your own practice. Uh oh, what about this pain, or um, what about this mind or this mind state? What if it doesn't go, or what if it gets worse? Or uh, oh, my my body's going to change, or circumstances are going to change, or you know you can fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. But worry and fear are always about the future. And that's why there's refuge here in the present. Seneca, the the Roman philosopher, has this this line I love. He says, uh, you cease to be afraid when you cease to hope, because hope is accompanied by fear. Now, of course, I start out most every email, hope you're doing well, you know hope things are going well for you. It's not, that, that's, There's a healthy kind of wish in that. But if it's, oh my goodness, I hope this doesn't happen, uh, then we've just gotten into that, that fear mode. So just to see that when that is arising, it's not a problem, it's just part of being human. Fear is not the enemy, it is... The, the scout to the unknown. When you're going from the, the familiar and the known to the unknown, the unfamiliar, then generally there's going to be some fear because you're moving into the unknown. And Jack has, uh, Jack Cornfield has a, 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 a pithy uh, teaching around this. He says, Fear is really saying, about to grow, about to grow. That's different from the fear that says, this is dangerous. You really wanna pay attention when there's danger. But if it's just an internal fear, oh, what if? Uh, Then you see, this is the way this is the doorway to you, w- you waking up. And maybe you're, uh, probably many of you or most of you are familiar with the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's classical uh, depiction of, of the hero's or the heroine's journey, that you need to go through and face your, your biggest fears in order to, to find the courage that you didn't realize you had whether you're, it was the Buddha going through his ordeal or Jesus on the cross or uh, in, in um, great myths and tales, uh, they all have this hero or heroine facing their hardship. Or um, in modern, modern action movies, in, in every action movie, this is part of the part of the plot, but uh, the classic ones are, uh, for me, Luke Skywalker, you know, or in more modern times, and to to bring in the feminine, uh, Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games. Uh, But there's there's Luke. You remember in uh, Empire Strikes Back, one of the greatest movies of all time, (laughs) Where Yoda is, is teaching Luke, and he's very impetuous and and impatient. He says, "They need me. I want to be a Jedi master." And, and Yoda keeps on saying, "You know, calm down, will you?" And like that, I can't talk in Yoda language. I, I wish I could. It was coming out of me now. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, and Luke says, "No, I, I've got to do it now." He says, "Okay, you want to become a Jedi? Here's your lightsaber." you go into that cave and face your demons. And he does, and you know, a a great action sequence uh, where he just barely comes out alive, but he becomes a Jedi. You know, we're all learning to become Jedis here. Isn't that cool? (laughs) think of it. Hey, maybe we'll give little certificates the end, Jedi Master. Or, um. <laughs> and in the classical uh, way of, of um, practice, the progress of insight, right there, there's one discovers or encounters fear and terror and loathing and disgust and uh, you, you go through in the, in the fear stage, it's sometimes called the rolling up the mat stage where all you want to do is roll up your mat and leave. That is a very um, important and profound moment in practice and you keep on going anyway and see that you had capacities in you that you didn't realize It's amazing how humbled we can be by our minds. Even if you've been doing this a long time, I, I love this, there's a saying in Asia, uh, it says, even a 93-year-old saint isn't safe from his mind or her mind. Even a 93-year-old saint isn't safe. It's just one thought away. Hey, I think I'm doing pretty well now, you know. Oh." Uh oh, I'm back in third grade. Uh-huh. I often say, "You press the right button in here, and I can be back in third grade." You know, it doesn't last for too long, but it's there. It's possible. So it's not that you end it and and that and that's that's it, and you don't have fear anymore. But you realize you can handle you can handle the fear, and part of it is is actually naming it, naming the demon. Uh, I love Janapanika Tara, who's this wonderful uh, writer in uh, uh, Theravadan Buddhism. And he, he talks about how mindfulness, one, one power of mindfulness, he has this great treatise, The Power of Mindfulness. And one of the powers is um, naming your experience, naming your demons. And he likens it to, um, in mythology, when the hero or the heroine doesn't know the name of the monster or the demon, they are overwhelmed. But as soon as they find out the name of the monster or the demon, they lose their power. And in a way, that's what we're doing here. Oh, this is fear. Oh, this is confusion. Oh, this is loneliness or sadness or judgment or whatever it is. And naming it brings the space of awareness that's holding it and not completely lost in it. a couple of studies on this mm. the problem with worry this is dan uh, dan goleman new solutions and fresh ways of seeing a problem do not typically come from worrying especially chronic worry instead of coming up with solutions to these potential problems worriers typ- typically simply ruminate on the danger itself immersing themselves in a low-key way in the dread associated with it while staying in the same rut of thought. And another study, uh, or there's a study about labeling, how labeling calms the mind. I won't read the whole study, but basically the idea is that when you label, when you name something, oh, this is what's happening, you're actually moving away from the activated sympathetic system part of the brain, the fear of part of the brain, to the uh, neocortex that says, oh, this is what's happening. And so you're deactivating from the the scary places. So that's one way that mindfulness works around opening up to this fear. And we've also talked about self-compassion, that part of this process is learning self-compassion and accepting and embracing it all. Wow. This is intense. Wow, this is hard. Wow, okay, this is part of the deal. Let me just hold this with kindness. So we're really using all the stuff that gets in the way, the fear and the dukkha um, to sit with it all. What comes from it is um, courage, is courage, is learning to hold with compassion, Is a wisdom that sees, oh, there's a way to hold this. The awareness of fear is not afraid. The awareness of sadness is not sad. There's a wisdom dimension that can hold whatever is going on inside. And from that comes a real confidence. Oh, I can be with this. Just like... uh, Mara's army, you know, the, uh, Mara would, would send the, the arrows from the warriors and, uh, and, and the Buddha would put up his hand and the arrows turned to flowers. And he'd send uh, seductive nymphs to try to get him off his seat. That didn't do it. And even doubt. No, I have a right to be here. And we become like that just dealing with Mara's army, and we have greater and greater confidence. That's what we're doing here. This is from uh, Helen Keller, who says Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. All the world is full of suffering. It is also full of overcoming. Mm -mm. So as we more and more are able to be with our demons and our fears and our difficult, um, then um, we... Not only feel and get in touch with li- uh, with wisdom and courage, but love inside that the heart starts to open and we're learning to love the whole package the whole package and accepting embracing it all and in that also seeing it all and seeing through the identification as uh, as guy uh, spoke of uh in that last talk not me not mine just seeing the whole show and not take a- taking any of it personally and at the same time getting in touch with the buddha right inside as uh, ajahn Sumedho, uh, talks about the the shining through of the divine So as you embrace and love the whole package, the more you really see, oh, this is okay, and we've talked about being kind and really loving ourselves, Uh, the more we then can move beyond the the personal to the the bigger picture beyond, beyond just me. You're not so preoccupied with, how am I doing? and see, oh, well, what, what's the whole show anyway? What's the game here that I took so personally? What's really out here? Oh, I'm part of everything. It might be a, you know, a non-Theravadan way to say it, but this is, I'm, there's no separation between this form of, of experience and, and life and everything out there. So you move beyond the me, and I love this teaching that um, probably many of you know, the uh, great Zen master Dogen, uh, who who says, uh, to study Buddhism is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. So, what does that mean? To study Buddhism, to practice the Dharma, this is your laboratory to study the self, this mind-body process. To study the self is to forget the self. You're no longer just focused on me. You see, oh yeah, this is just nature expressing itself through this form. Nature knowing itself. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self Is to be intimate with all things. Then you're seeing beyond this small self and you can be amazed by the whole show. And the heart opens and instead of practice being an ordeal, it's more an adventure. It's more um, a kind of loving the moment, loving the truth, a deep trust in the process. And it just becomes uh, fascinating. I remember going into an interview uh, one time after I'd been practicing for about uh, five years. This is on my second three-month retreat. And I went into an interview and I said, I don't know what I've been doing the last five years, but this is like, this is like a whole new wonderland, you know, and, uh, and Joseph said, oh yeah, I know that feeling. He said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I sit. (laughs) And then he leaned forward and he said, and you know what? We're at the tip of the iceberg. We're at the tip of the iceberg. And he wasn't saying, oh, there's so much more that we've got to learn. He was saying, we're at the tip of the iceberg. It's so fascinating it's so, life keeps on revealing itself to us. What a cool adventure. And I know that, you know, this is not something that's foreign to, to many of you. And maybe you've gotten glimpses of it when, when the, the dukkha kind of subsides. And it's just so interesting being here for life. <clears throat> and then you, you fall in love. There's one of the uh, one of the uh, sources of inspiration, uh, one of the bases of success, the list is called the Idipadas. It's called Chitta Idipada. Idipada, Idi, like the word city, power of, of success. Chitta Idipada is where your heart has been so touched by the Dharma and you are just drawn like a moth to a flame where everything pales in comparison because you've been touched by the truth and there's no, no turning back. Mm. It's too late. <laughs> Sorry. Trungpa Rinpoche has, this, has this, uh, uh, this line. He says, the spiritual path is fraught with perils and danger. So consider very carefully before embarking on it. But once started, it's best to finish. It's too late to turn back. You've been touched by the Dharma. And it's important to see and to feel that connection of being touched like that. sometimes the 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 heart element is um is not so uh not so obvious because this seems like it's such a a wisdom teaching and i want to share with you a, a a an anecdote some of you have heard this uh probably from my own practice where i realized this heart connection and this was uh, in my early years i'd been practicing for a couple of years. This is in the uh, 74, 75, but I was living in New York and it was, it was, um, I was, there was no sitting group around. I was all by myself, religiously sitting every day. And, um, uh, but it was getting dry. And I heard that Ram Das, I mentioned before, be here now, was running this This very small, by invitation only class. And Joseph actually told me about it. He said you might check that out. And I went to to meet with Ramdas to see if it was appropriate to be in the class. And that scene was a big was a Hindu scene, doing mala beads and chanting Sri Ram, Jay Ram, and all of that stuff from the more devotional path. And here I was, the one thing I believed in was Buddha Dharma and Vipassana. And uh, But we were going to see whether it was appropriate for me to be in the class. So um, he says, uh, well, you know, I told him about my practice. He said, okay, well, l- let me ask you something. Um, how do you feel about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? <laughs> and I said... I like Jesus. <laughs> he said, "No, oh, do you love Jesus? I said, well, you know, um, he's an inspiring figure, but I don't know if I love him like maybe you think I should. Uh, he said, okay, well, um, how about Krishna? Do you love Krishna? I like Krishna. <laughs> Just that expression of, Celebration and and and, uh, and aliveness, but I don't know if I love Krishna. Uh, he said, "Well, you know, what about God? Do you love God?" And I said, "Well, you know, Ramdas, um, I was raised Jewish, and whether I had a Bible book when I was young or what, but my, when I think of God, my mind goes to this very big, powerful man." man with a beard and a book and a pen saying, big pen, big pen, not big pen, it, uh, <laughs> big pen saying, you're going to have a good day and you're going to have a lousy day. And instead of loving God, it kind of put the fear of God in me. So when I hear the word uh, God, I translate it as dharma, the dharma, the, kind of the perfection of everything, how the mystery, how it all hangs together. And he said, oh, all right. Well, let me ask you, do you love the Dharma? I said, oh, yeah. And he said, you're sure? I said, absolutely. And then he said, well, um, have you ever told the Dharma that you loved it? (laughs) I said, no. He said, well, go ahead. I said, what do you mean? He said, tell the Dharma you love it. he said, just just say, um, I love you, Dharma. <laughs> and I said, really? He said, uh, yeah, he said, I'll say it with you. Go, you say it, and I'll say it. Just say, I love you, Dharma. And I, I felt like a complete jerk. But I said, I love you, Dharma. <laughs> and he said, I love you, Dharma. And I said, I love you, Dharma. And he said it. And about the th- third or fourth time, I just really felt it. I love you, Dharma. And tears started rolling down my, my cheeks, at which point he said, oh, there's hope for you yet. Okay. <laughs> and it was a really important moment for me to see how much I love the Dharma. And the same is true of everybody here whether you realize it or not. Why else would you do this? This is a very strange way to spend six weeks or three months. (laughs) There's something in you that loves the truth or loves the Dharma or has been so touched by it. That's where you get the juice from. Stay connected to that. And as you more and more open to that, then you see, even beyond me loving the Dharma, because me loving the Dharma is still dualistic. Is still, oh yes, it's me and the Dharma. But that leads you to that mystery of emptiness, where you can, I can think of it as the Dharma just loving itself. <laughs> you know, like. Uh, that Brian Swim quote, I, I forget if I mentioned it here. We are a star's way of knowing itself. And the the eye gets, gets removed. Where you don't have to be around. Where there's just... The unnameable, just awareness, knowing itself. Let me see if I have that. Listen to this, Dana Falls. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief, flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. And even when you open up to that, that space of emptiness, and you've seen beyond duality, and you have been and you've touched something really profound, there can be a a, a perspective that, that is a true, an awakening. But that's just the that's just part of the journey as the, 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 uh, the Zen master Chanul talks of sudden awakening and gradual cultivation. Even after you've seen clearly and been so moved, there's stuff to keep on working through, old habits and old patterns. But your sincerity is your end of the deal. Your sincerity is what you really need for this Process to keep on going. Mm. And whether or not you go through ups and downs, it's okay as long as you're facing in the right direction. There's a, 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 a great analogy that Joseph has that I love of um, uh, the process of practice uh, a metaphor of a hill, a steep hill, and putting a ball in the center of the hill. And at the beginning, it's hard for that ball to stay balanced. That's like the beginning of practice. It's hard to stay connected to the present or not get lost. As we keep on practicing, the hill becomes a, a, a flat plane. And you put that ball on the center. And it's harder to get knocked off, although a gust of wind can blow it off. But you keep on deepening your practice, and the hill becomes a valley. And that ball pretty much rests in the center. It might get thrown off, but this is where it comes back to. And this is what we're doing as we keep on deepening our practice. We are shifting our default setting, and so you keep on growing. And even when you get lost, it's okay because you know where home is. And out of that continual growing of the, the, the Buddha within and expressing it, there's a kind of fullness that comes. You're, you're an agent of consciousness, not only for yourself, but you become, an expression of of presence, of goodness, of caring, of wisdom. And that is contagious. And so the full expression of our practice is spilling over and offering to the world. In the Ox Herding uh, um, pictures, it's uh, After one is enlightened, one goes back to the marketplace with gift bestowing hands. And so the fullness is then getting out of the way and just seeing, letting life use you in a beautiful way. All I have to do is stay connected to my sincerity and face in the right direction and uh, keep on showing up. And life will find a way to use you well. And this is uh, the beautiful expression of the Bodhisattva ideal from Nyosul Kempo. I'll end with this. We're not practicing for ourselves alone, since everyone is involved and included in the great scope of this perfectly pure motivation to benefit others. Whatever else we might do is secondary to that. And if we cultivate this good heart, this altruistic, unselfish attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified, purified, transformed in us and become beneficial to others through contact with that good heart, which we, the Bodhisattvas strive to embody. And so we're not practicing for ourselves alone, but going through that whole process from being motivated and inspired and facing our fears and finding our courage and learning to accept and all parts of ourselves and even love ourself, and then even get beyond the the self to love the truth and love the dharma and be the dharma, and then be an expression of that that touches others. Um, This is one way to hold the practice that we're going through, and I find a beautiful way. So thank you for doing what you're doing. We all benefit from it. So let's just sit for a moment. that